0: Let's read God's word with reverence and awe. 1 Timothy 2, read the whole chapter. 1 Timothy 2, page 1177 in your pew Bibles. Page 1177, 1 Timothy 2. Our text this morning is the last half, 8 through 15. Verses 8 through 15. 1 Timothy 2, Paul's giving instructions to Timothy about how to get things in order for worship and in leadership at the new church plant in Ephesus. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God, and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And now particular instructions to men and women. How they ought to gather for prayer and worship. I desire then that in every place. The men should pray. Lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also. That women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. With modesty and self-control Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control and then follow instructions about leadership, elders and deacons. And then at the end of chapter 3, if you turn there, I hope to come to you soon. Verse 14, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm running these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess as the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Again, if you turn back to verses 8 through 15 of chapter 2 and keep your Bibles open there as we work through this passage verse by verse. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, the church is serious business. It's not a human institution to be governed by human wisdom that you all do whatever you feel is right, whatever you find meaningful and useful, whatever works for you. It's a divine institution. It's the church of the living God we read in First Timothy 3. It's the pillar and buttress of the truth. It's the place where God has planted the truth, the saving truth of the gospel. That there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus gave his life as a ransom for all. And that knowledge of the truth brings salvation to all who believe and that's to go to the whole world. We are the house of truth in this world. And therefore God wants us to do church his way. Because the church is serious business. He wants us to do church his way, not our own way. We saw that last week in the second commandment. Do not come to God through a carved image. Don't carve out your own Jesus or your own way to go to God go his way, or it's false worship. And so these instructions in chapter three about men and women in worship, or chapter two, and in three about elders and deacons, are all about doing church God's way. The church is serious business. And so we look at that today, how men and worship are to behave in the house of prayer, the house of worship. God is. Gives the direction. We're going to see three things. How men are to lift holy hands. And women are to come in proper dress. And how they're saved through childbirth. Or how she is saved through childbirth. Holy hands. Proper dress. The saving childbirth. The first order of business. He says in verse 1 already. Is to remember that God's house. His house of worship is a house of prayer. Now it's a place where preaching is central. He's talked about preaching already to Timothy in chapter 1. And we'll keep mentioning it through all six chapters. But when we gather to hear the word. It is a place of prayer. And we must offer prayer to God so that people might be saved by coming to the knowledge of the truth as it is in Jesus. What's that truth? There's one mediator. The man Christ Jesus. One mediator between God and man. God sent his son to mediate between two parties in a dispute, God and sinners. And Jesus, because he's God and man, can lay a hand on both sides and take God's side. Demanding perfect righteousness and full punishment for all unrighteousness. And man's side. Needing forgiveness of sin. Needing that gift of righteousness. And Jesus takes care of both sides. By offering his life as a ransom, as a payment for sin on the cross. So we might be set free. The church is the house. That house of that truth in this world. But it matters very much how, then, we come into God's holy house of worship and prayer. And how we behave in that house. It's not that we can do whatever we want and God's okay with it. No, he says, in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. In every place. means this is not just true for the church of Ephesus. But wherever the church gathers, he uses that phrase in every place. Listen, in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2. To the church of God that's in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, call to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. This is for the church in every place. Men should lift up holy hands in prayer. That was the common Jewish way for prayer, to stretch out your hands to God. It wasn't the only posture for prayer in the Bible. Sometimes it was laying flat out, flat out on the ground in prostration, sometimes kneeling. Commonly it was standing with stretched out hands. And those stretched out hands meant not only, Lord, we are here to receive, but it was, we come with clean hands and a pure heart. One of the early church fathers of the second century, Tertullian, wrote, We Christians pray for emperors and all others, looking up to heaven with our hands stretched out because we are guiltless. And with our heads uncovered because we are not ashamed. Guiltless. Not ashamed. Holy hand. You know and I know that means does not mean that we have no sin. But we're living a life of repentance and faith. That every day we're in the business of turning away from our sin in repentance. And turning to Christ in faith for forgiveness and renewal. That's what it is to live with holy hands. That you don't come into the presence of God holding on to your sin. Living in sin. And then thinking that you can, in your life of sin, can come into the house of the Lord and still be heard. It doesn't work that way. We come with clean hands and a pure heart. Living a life of repentance and faith. Saying constantly, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I've made a mess again. And you bring that mess to the Lord. And you ask him to wash it away. And help you renew what's been broken as far as you can. What does it mean to raise holy hands? Paul says it himself in verse 8. Men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Men that's often our problem. Anger, quarreling. We can get very angry when we don't get our way or when someone gets in our way. We can be so hot-headed sometimes. We would rather fight and be right than be reconciled. We can fight with our wives, our neighbor, our co-workers. We can be hostile. And bitter, and live in constant friction with others. And when we're like this, we're not fit to pray. How can we pray if we're sinfully angry and constantly quarreling? So, lifting holy hands means we say God be merciful to me a sinner help me to make it right with my brother my sister and so we put away our unholy anger we settle matters we make peace as far as we can and we live in a right relationship with brothers and sisters in our local church and beyond you know that comes from Psalm 24 which asks the question who shall stand in God's holy place And the answer is, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Jesus said, if you're bringing your gift to the altar, you're coming to worship, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, stop your worship right there. Leave and go settle with your brother. And then come back and offer your gift. It's so essential to settle matters. To confess sin and to come with clean hands and a pure heart. Peter says that even in relationship with husbands and wives in 1 Peter 3, that if a husband is not considerate toward his wife, that's going to hinder your prayers. It's that important. Well, brothers, dear men of God, and boys, the beautiful thing... Is there is a place to make your hands holy to wash them? We've just read we have a mediator, the man Christ Jesus, between God and me. He gave his life as a ransom. Take your sins to the Lord. Don't just shove them under the carpet and go on. Take them to the Lord. Settle matters with brothers and sisters. You may always know that in Jesus, there's a perfect place to get rid of unholiness and to come with holy hands. It's always a pathway back to holiness, even when we mess up badly. So let's go to him who sympathizes with our weaknesses. That's Jesus. So we might find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Holy hands. Now a word to women, proper dress. In Ephesus, it wasn't only men who had or needed directions for coming to the house of prayer the right way. Women had their issues as well. Ephesus was a wealthy port city. A place where women held prominent positions in the temple of the goddess Diana or Artemis. So when they were converted to Christ, you can imagine it meant a cultural revolution for them. They, too, were to honor God, not themselves in worship. But again, this command is not to women, is not unique to Ephesus. Well, this is just for Ephesus because they had a, a unique problem there. No, it's too, is' for every place. In every place. It's found instructions like this in the letter to the Corinthians. Similar calls are found in Colossians and First Peter. And, and the, ground, the command here is not grounded, you notice. Not grounded in culture, but in Genesis 2 and 3, in, in creation. But look at those verses 9 through 12. I desire, says Paul, likewise also that women, verse 9, should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what's proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. It is so hard for liberal Western culture to bear these words. And liberal Protestantism has found a way to explain them all away so they don't mean what they mean. They don't mean what they say. Because God's standards are so diametrically opposed to our culture, sisters, brothers. And when God's word comes in conflict with the world... Who's going to win? Should I conform my life to the world and twist the word? Or shall I conform my life to the word and turn my back on the world's demands? It is always spiritually treacherous to mold the word to fit our world rather than mold our lives to fit God's word. Let's always keep that in mind. There are three key directions from God here for women in public worship and prayer. Modesty, number one. Godliness, number two. And three, submission. Modesty. Women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. Paul instructs women not to dress in such a way as to showcase themselves. To showcase their wealth and put the spotlight on themselves. Nothing wrong with braids, sisters. But they would spend big time and sometimes have three or four attendants. All kinds of money. Piling their hair up in braids. And then spangling their braids with gems and gold and pearls. And so church could become quite the fashion show. the idea of modesty here is to dress respectfully, quietly, not loud and showy. He says, "Modesty with self-control. Self-control simply means to dress carefully, not to go overboard. Whether you're wearing too much or wearing not enough it goes both ways. Course. Dress issues were also true for men in the early church. And today, James talks about men in their clothing. But here, it's particularly an issue for women. Sisters, it's always important for us and brothers as well to ask the question, how am I presenting myself? Or who am I presenting Am I showing Christ by humility, beauty, and holiness? This is not a call to be dowdy, frumpy, and out of style. But it is a call to be known for your godliness, not for your appearance. Isn't that important in our culture? Modesty, second. Godliness. Women should adorn themselves in respectable, a parable, verse 10, with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. The most important thing to be dressed up, sisters, dressed up in is good works. Now, good works includes a lot of things, but in chapter 5, Paul speaks about the good works of a widow. A widow known for her good works, raising her children, taking care of good care of our household, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, caring for the afflicted. Are we known for that? May our beauty be seen especially in our good works, in our deeds of love and mercy and a care for the needy. That's what Christianity was really famous for. In the early church, taking in the refugees, adopting abandoned children, caring for the sick, providing the widow for widows and orphans, helping the homeless. James describes godliness like this in James 1, 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. in our culture such good works are not considered virtues but a waste of time and especially a waste of talent you're missing your opportunity sisters to become a woman of power and standing if you would invest your life in that let us not adopt the world's view of glory and greatness, sisters. Godliness with good works is true greatness and beauty in the eyes of the Lord. Modesty, godliness, and then submission. Look at verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach her to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet We know from Scripture, certainly, women are called to teach in private and family settings. In 2 Timothy 1, we read how Timothy learned the gospel from his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. In Acts, we read how Priscilla and Aquila sat down with with Apollos and taught him the word of God more accurately. Women were featured very prominently in the ministry of Jesus and his apostles. Many are listed at the end of the epistles for their work in the body of Christ and the spread of the gospel. Leadership is impossible without a network of strong support by both men and women. So the work of women is as essential to the building of the church and the extension of the kingdom as the work of men, as essential. But their work is not the same. God has called men to preaching, teaching, and leadership of the church. And there are certain standards that need to be met to go along with that. First Timothy 3, Lord willing, we'll get to that. God has called men to preaching, teaching, and leadership of the church and women to use their spiritual gifts to serve in a helping role. Like Yodi and Syntyche in Philippians 4 who labored with Paul in the gospel. And like all men and women who are not teachers, the woman is called to learn quietly with a humble and teachable spirit. Now that word, to learn quietly, was quite a radical thing to say in both Jewish and Roman context. Women learn? No, they're not worthy of that. They're too dumb for that. That's it. that's, learning is for men. Theology is for men only. But like Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus, to learn about God and his truth and to learn good theology, so women are called to study and learn and grow, to be knowledgeable in the scriptures, sound in their teachings, share their knowledge and thoughts and insights with their husbands, children, neighbors, friends, and fellow believers. Now, I know in our culture this is viewed as gender dis- discrimination, and it's scandalous to say, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. He's speaking here in the context of the church. It's scandalous in our culture, but not at all in the Bible's worldview. It's beautiful, this is creational. It fits our unique design as men and women. That's where Paul goes next. For, he says, here's the reason. For you got problems in Ephesus. No, no, no. For Genesis 2 says so. Adam was formed first. Then Eve. That's the reason. Creation. Genesis 2. Where Adam was created And given dominion and then Eve was created second as his helper in that. And that sets the foundation for the relationship of men to women. And even though sin has broken down this relationship where men often abdicate leadership. Because they want to play rather than pray. They want to laze rather than learn. And women tend to disrespect men and be assertive toward them. Despise them. Even though sin has assaulted this creational design, the church is God's new society where we want that original life of Eden to start and grow and flourish. I want things like Eden again. And then he adds a second ground, the fall, Genesis 3, verse 14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. He's not saying here women should not teach or have authority over men because they are more gullible and more easily deceived. He's building on his first case. The right order is Adam was created first, then Eve. Eve. Genesis 3 was a wrecking of that order when Eve led the way and took the fruit and gave some to Adam. And Adam stood there quietly listening, doing nothing. That's where the problem was. And God is saying, I don't want a Genesis 3 culture in the church. I want a Genesis 2 culture. Because that's my design, that's how I created you. That's what's good. That's what fits. Modesty, godliness, and submission. Maybe, dear sisters, like holy hands without arguing or fighting or quarreling, convicts men. Maybe, dear sisters... This convicts you of your sin today. I'm not living the life of the woman God designed me to live, and to be honest, I am fighting God's will in my heart and mind. I don't like this. I'm having a hard time accepting this, Lord, and being devoted to good works. I'm having a hard time as seeing that as fulfilling. Well, here's good news, sisters. There's a mediator for you too. Just like for the men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. You take all your weaknesses and worries and fears and all that's unbiblical in your life and all the lacks and you throw them on the shoulders of the Lord Jesus, you give them to him and you say, forgive my sins but also fill me with your Holy Spirit and renew me To be the woman that you've called me to be. You saved me and called me to be. I want to be forgiven. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to follow the way of being a good student and learner of the Bible. And my life to abound in good works. The Lord Jesus has... Everything you need, sisters and brothers. Everything I need to worship God are right. There's always grace in him. Cover our sins. To give us a new start, turn a new page. And then we come across that weird verse at the end about saving childbirth. God's salvation is for men, but equally for women. And then look at verse 15. Yet she will be saved through childbearing. If they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. As you can imagine here, people come up with all kinds of weird teachings. Like, bearing children saves you. So the more you have, the higher you climb in God's approval rating. Of course children are a blessing. And having many children should be seen as a joy. But that can't save you. Only the blood of Jesus can save you. Others believe the word means kept safe. Protected. But she will be kept safe through childbearing. But the Lord will protect her through it. Keep her safe watch over her in the affliction, the pain of bearing children. That's a possible translation except that the word saved is rarely used in that way, preserved and kept safe and certainly not in Timothy. We read it in verses 3 and 4 that of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved, to come to a knowledge of the truth. No, the word means Spiritually saved from our sins. She will be saved through childbirth. Notice it says she. Speaking of one woman. And then in the second half, it turns to they. If they continue in faith. Starts with she, one woman. And that one woman is Eve. Just been talking about the fall in the garden. Eve, the woman. She will be saved through childbearing. And in the Greek, it's through the childbirth or the childbearing. And then you think of Genesis 3. The mother promise where God says to Satan, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. You will bruise is he will crush your head. The seed of the woman. The Lord Jesus Christ. Is going to come and destroy the serpent. And destroy the curse. And bring salvation. This is the childbirth. Of Jesus Christ. That's how women and men are saved. And think of. Eve. And then later her great-great-granddaughter, Mary, the Virgin Mary, submissively hearing the word of God, receiving that word in faith, becoming pregnant with the Messiah and giving birth to the Savior. What a holy calling. And he was born our long-awaited Savior, the Savior of men and women. So if you, if they, all Christian women everywhere, and later we'll see that includes men too, if they continue in faith, trusting in this child who was born for us, and in that faith, living in love and with holiness and self-control for his glory, then the church is built. God is glorified. And brothers and sisters, if he becomes our focus, the Lord Jesus... And not we. Then the troubles, the arguments, the objections will fall away. As we ask. Lord Jesus. You're my savior. I want to honor you. How do you want me to behave in your church and kingdom? The issues become resolved. When we focus And that child who came, who grew up, who died and rose for us to save us from our sins. And then for his sake, men will strive to pray with holy hands lifted up to God without arguing and quarreling. And women strive to pray and learn and serve in His name and everyone will find their God-given place in the church of the living God which is the pillar and buttress of the truth Amen let's call on His name in prayer Heavenly Father you have designed and ordered everything very good Nothing is out of place in your plan, in your will. Help us to trust you. Thank you for redeeming us, men and women, and making us the household of God and gathering us together in the house of prayer to worship you. Help us each to be focused on you and to be resolved To live and worship the way you call us to do. Because we want to be pleasing in your sight. So give us that grace. And then may we shine the light of Christ. In a world that does not have the truth. And is in darkness. Lord use us for your glory. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.